Welcome to Screen Thoughts with Hollister and O'Toole. Good evening, Ms. O'Toole. Hollister, how are you? I'm great, but before we even get started, you went somewhere really fun tonight and saw somebody really from the movies. I did. I just saw Anna Kendrick. She's on a book tour for her new book, Scrappy Little Nobody. <laughs> I don't think you're particularly mean to anybody. I don't think I'm mean to anybody. I think there are a couple of people who don't come off well, but I have changed certain people's names. Um, and also, I think that in certain cases, it's just a kind of thing to have in the back of your mind that if you treat a girl very badly, it is possible that one day she will Okay, this is what's on the book jacket cover, which I thought was so your sense of humor. <laughs> at, at the ripe age of 13, Anna Kendrick had already resolved to, quote, keep the crazy inside my head where it belonged forever. But here's the thing about crazy. It, period, wants, period, out, period. <laughs> okay, well, the, nar- no, wait, the narcissist in me wants to say, I don't understand what that would ever have to do with me. <laughs> But let's move I, on to Anna. You know? I think she is the queen of the queen. You know what's funny about her is uh, the first thing I ever saw her in was up in the air, right? Loved her in that movie. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And, you know, where she played, you know, I thought she was going to be that sort of Emma Thompson kind of role, you know. And then she came out of there and went into, what was that movie we saw when we were in Bentonville Film Festival? Pitch Perfect 2. Yeah. Of course, she was you in know, the first one. I mm-hmm. know. And she became this totally other person. And one of the things that I think is she's really versatile, and I don't know that she's been stretched as far as we're going to be able to see her in years to come. I think she's going to do some really great things. Did you know she was nominated for a Tony when she was 12 years old in High Society? Was she in Annie? No, it was for the musical High Society. Oh, well, there you go. Okay. She's been at it quite some time. She said something tonight that I thought was really great. She took a lot of questions, and one of them was, the actor or the person who had influenced her most so far in her life. And guess what her answer was? Me? <laughs> okay, it's a woman. It's a female actor. Okay. Uh-huh. Margot Martindale. They did a movie together when Anna Kendrick was Wait, just 19. I don't even 19. know who that is. Who is that? You do. You loved her. She was in The Hollers, which we reviewed. Um, oh, John Krasinski's of course. Yes, movie yes, yes, that yes. he directed. She was on The huh. Good Wife, where she played yep. the political advisor. Yep. She yep. said it was Margot Martindale, and they huh. were reunited in The Hollers, because, of course, Anna Kendrick was in that, too. Yeah, and also, you know, another great role for her. Huh. Well, mm-hmm. good for her. Okay, but we're going to start off, as usual, with our list of six. Which is doing really well, and we're so loving the input you guys are giving us out there. So, you know, feel free to email or or whatever, any list of six you want us to do. But the list of six this week is going to be songs during a movie. Not to be confused with soundtracks, but... A song oh, wait, that's actually that used. Or, yeah, some, exactly. Some, some of mine some of mine are soundtracks. <laughs> you want you know, you've gotta play by the rules, O'Toole. I, I just wait, don't understand that a, why that was a rule? Wait, yes, so, it was very clear. Very I, clear. I, one of mine's you're gonna disqualify right out of the show. Uh, well, you know what? Then you're just gonna have to find another one in five seconds. That's all there is to it. <laughs> no, I'm um, gonna stick by my erroneous choice. Uh, okay, so what are yours? Go ahead, go. Okay, this one was hard because we all know that music is the emotional language of a film. So this list could have gone on and on, even though apparently I can't get past two qualifiers. My first one, I'm giving it to Adele for Skyfall. Hold your breath and count to ten. Oh, uh, 
of course you're going to do Skyfall. What a surprise. <laughs> I know, but I loved the story behind this because Adele said when she was first approached to do it, she didn't even believe them. She just thought they were kidding. And they had to come back to her and say, no, 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 we really want you to do the James mm. Bond song. Cool. And she's Very like, cool. but, but I'm nobody. So they said, yeah, but this is the thing. You're 23. And this is going to be the 23rd James Bond film. And you know how she numbers all her albums. So she said yes, but on one condition that there never, ever, ever be a music video. Because when they asked her, she knew she was already pregnant. And she said her body swelled in parts that aren't even supposed to swell, like her elbows <laughs> swelled. And that's why there's no music video. But we know she went on to perform it at the Oscars that year. And she won the Oscar for Best Original Song. Well, and well, she did. But that is, you know, that's definitely disqualified. So we're <laughs> going to move right along to me. Uh, my first one that I'm going to do is Heath Ledger singing You're Just Too Good to Be True to Julia Stiles. Do you remember it? Yes, I do. Do you remember the movie? 10 Things I Hate About You. Exactly. And by the way, not that I thought this was a movie even worth watching more than once, but I just thought, gosh, I I love the way he sang it. I love the way he ran up and down the bleachers. I just, you know, it just it just worked for me. So I really liked it. Okay, so what what's your next one? Okay, you'll be happy. This one is within your rules. Thank okay. you. <laughs> God, I don't ask for much, you know. It seems to me you should be able to take care of this. <laughs> oh, boy. Okay, it's from what Ethan Hawke likes to call the lowest grossing trilogy of all time, which just cracks me up. It's from Before Sunset, the second in the series with Julie Delpy. It's at the very end where he comes inside her apartment. She takes out her guitar and she plays this song that she wrote about their lovely one night stand called A Waltz for a Night. Hmm. You know, I missed that series. It was Um, used so well because she plays the song and you don't know, is he going to stay in Mrs. Flight or Okay, okay. For my second one, (laughs) Rising Above Yours, I might add, (laughs) Um, I'm going to do Charlie um, Kelly McGinnis as the recipient of Tom Cruise singing You've Lost That Love and You've Lost That Love and Feeling in Top Gun. That was a great scene. As hokey and whatever as it was, which it totally was, it just lightened the load of the entire movie. And I thought they did it so beautifully. And I loved all the guys chiming in together. It was just a moment. Do you know what I mean? Just a happy moment, so to speak. It's hard to believe that was Anthony Edwards from ER. Right? Mm -hmm. And Val Kilmer was in that movie. Meg Ryan was in that movie. Yes, yes, yes. Mm -hmm. So many great people. Um, But my favorite person in that movie was Kelly McGinnis. She did a great job in that movie. Yes, she did. She did. Mm -hmm. Okay, what's your last one? Okay, and this one does qualify because it is what the industry peeps would call diegetic. It was part of the narrative sphere of the film. Okay, I'm going to give you the song and tell me if you know the movie. Okay, the name oh, wait, of the song. How about, you sing, how about you sing me the song? Never going to happen, Hollister. Okay, I, okay. I would do a lot for you, but You've that's just a that gift. <laughs> Go ahead. What is it? The song is You Don't Own Me. You Don't Own Me. And it's uh-huh. got to be from the First Wives Club. Yes. Ding, oh, ding, 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 ding. Performed yeah, by no, Bette Midler, that's, by the Goldie way, Hawn, Diane we don't, Keaton. We don't share these early. And that was beautiful. That was I love that moment. It's a great well, moment. I love that it's three completely different personalities singing together. Yeah. It was a great All dressed in white, which is the mm-hmm. suffrage white. Oh, that's true. Which was true. the whole point of that night, by the way, of oh, them wearing white. Yeah, a exactly. A triumphant ending. You don't own me. Don't try to change me in any way.
Okay, my last one is from Duets, you know, which was done by Gwyneth oh. Paltrow's father. And she actually yes. sings in it. She's got a very good voice, but I didn't pick she her song. She really does. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Did you pick Huey I, Lewis's? No, I did the one that I made you listen to. Oh, um, yeah, Paul Giamatti. Paul Giamatti yes, oh, and Arnold McCullough. I had no idea how well that man can sing. Oh my God, he's great, yeah. But also, it's a great song, and the duet they do, I think it's one of the best renditions of it that I've, you know, I've ever heard. I think he should do a John Adams the musical. I know, exactly. Okay, (laughs) Okay, so I have one one bit of trivia. Okay. Okay, I know you're going to get this. The first movie... Wait, I don't like it when you start, I know you're going to get this, because then the pressure, (laughs) you know, know, do you remember in... in, um, in um, Pretty Woman, when her friend, she says, well, tell me somebody where it works out well in the end. And she goes, oh, the pressure, the pressure. Cinda Blancarella, remember? Okay, I feel that pressure now because you're like, oh, you'll get this one. Well, no, let's see. No, in fact, Go ahead. I'm going to ask the question. You're probably going to say, oh, that's so easy. Okay, what okay. is it? The first movie to ever use pre-existing music as its soundtrack. When I first heard this, I was Goodbye, floored. Columbus? Oh, that's a good guess. Okay, here's another clue. You've met one of the musicians that made the soundtrack famous. I've met one of the musicians. Mandy Patinkin? That's a very good guess. Simon and Garfunkel. Well, yeah. So what was it? The Graduate. Oh, that's Sound what I meant silence. by No, that's what I was mm-hmm. thinking of when I said the wrong name. Does that count? I did. I did. Simon and Garfunkel. I did. I did. Oh, you know what? I did. I had it right. Okay. Okay. But this is really an exciting week for me. Now, we've been doing these podcasts for two years. We've never missed a week. And so we're talking about like a hundred and whatever podcasts we've done. Mm-hmm. And 17. I know. And often I talk about one of my very, very favorite movies of all time, Silence of the Lambs. And... You know, O'Toole had never seen it. And we were together this week. and working on another project. And she said, I, you know what I'd like to do instead of going out to dinner? And I said, what? And she said, how about <laughs> we watch Silence of the Lambs? I almost drove the car off the side of the road, number one. And number two, I put it, I gunned it up to 70 miles an hour <laughs> and said, uh, before she changes her mind, okay, we didn't speak about it afterwards. She went up to her room. I went into my room. Like, we didn't even talk about it. But I want to know, now can you tell me, are, you're so grateful to me for pressing you to watch this, right? Is that a leading question there, Hollister? Well, not only that, but there are lots of fans who, you know, if you, if you read her Facebook or Twitter feeds or any of those things, I happened to mention that there was a big announcement this week, <laughs> and somebody guessed what it was. I think it was Val. And, it was you know, Walu. I, there, people are waiting to know that you could rise to the occasion of Sons of the Lambs. Now, did you? Okay, what, what, was, what did you say back there? Pressure? No pressure? The pressure? Yeah, whatever. Okay. What did you think? <laughs> well, it is the 25th anniversary year, so I've held out a quarter of a century in terms of seeing this movie. And it was the biggest supermoon that we've had in 70 years, so was there a better time, really? Especially when we could just delay editing all the footage we had shot that day on the project. I still haven't completely forgiven the director, Jonathan Demme, for Ricky and the Flash, but (laughs) I am glad I I finally saw it. You are? Mm Mm-hmm. 
Okay. It puts the lotion on its skin or it gets the hose again. One of the great lines. What do you think? Hollister, I got to say, I worry about you a little bit because, of course, not only did you have a copy in your house, but how many times have you seen this movie? Oh, I don't know. A hundred. But here's the thing. I think they should do cards. Like I would, you know, I like to send cards to people. And if they had a card that said it puts the lotion I, I would buy that card and I would send it. And when my daughter and I are on the phone and if we're having some sort of disagreement, she'll say it puts the low and, and then I'll start laughing and I can't be mad or vice versa. I mean, it's a great, come on, it's a great moment. On It's great. Well, for the record, my friend Deborah, when this movie came out, she told me all about it the next day and her retelling was so good. I'm sure it took longer than an hour and 58 minutes. So... <laughs> After hearing Deborah's version, I always thought Anthony Hopkins made that lip smacky sound more often in the film. Huh. That slurpy sound. A census taker once tried to test me. I ate his liver with some fava beans and a nice Chianti. The one bit, though, that I really didn't get is when that woman is kidnapped and she's trapped in that subterranean hole with the little white dog, mm-hmm. which we now realize she went on to get out of the hole and become Dr. Erica Hahn on Grey's Anatomy. I know, I know. It took me a while I to read, figure that out, by the way. I read that she gained 25 pounds to play this character in Silence of the Lambs because uh-huh. her character was described as roomy. But when Jodie Foster goes and she figures out where the woman's being held and she shouts down the hole you know, at her own peril. I'm from the FBI. I'm going to come back. I'm going to save you. Don't worry. Erica Hahn's reaction is to start just shouting expletives up the hole. <laughs> and I'm thinking if there's one person who's my lifeline, I don't think I would tick them off. Well, you know, I think, I think she had been under a little pressure for the few days prior. So I don't think her reaction can be judged in any way, O'Toole. I think it's a moment in time when you have no idea how you'd respond if you've been sitting in that hole watching fingernails crawling up this. I mean, like all the things she went through. Which made sure. me wonder why I was sitting there watching uh, you things know, I like, would probably lose it too. Get me out of here, then you can leave. I don't <laughs> know. I would have been begging for mercy. Like, please don't leave. But okay, I are you gonna ever going to ever watch it again? Her. No, I think once was enough. Serial killers and cannibals, not really my genre. But I had no idea that Roger Corman played the FBI director, the king of the cult film. That man has 412 producer credits to his name. I didn't know that. Wow. Oh, my goodness. He's mentored Francis Ford Coppola and Ron Howard, Robert De Niro, Sandra Bullock. I'd never seen him as an actor before. Huh. Well, he was very good, but what did you think about Demi's direction in this? Like the doorbell scene, you know, where it's two front doors ringing and you're not sure who's going to be behind door number one or two. Mm-hmm. Did you? I, I thought that was well done. It was, you know, 25 years ago. That was quite unique. Did you think he did a good job directing? It is hard to judge 25 years yeah, later. It because is. watching it for the very first time in 2016, I hear melodramatic music and I see a lot of close-ups yeah, on yeah, the faces. Yeah. And, you know, I see Jodie Foster's preternaturally blue eyes. And I'm not sure the younger version of Clarice had blue eyes. You know, I think what you're saying is, what I'm hearing you say and how we can wrap this up so I can have the last word because it is one of my favorite movies. (laughs) I think what you're saying is you'd like to see a remake. Well, I will give it this. I see how it has inspired so many shows that are on today. So, for Mm -hmm. example, The Fall has a serial killer, one man, one woman hunting each other. The Blacklist 
where James Spader's character insists on dealing only with a young female FBI trainee. Yep. I think it lives on, and I can see, you know, how it won five Oscars back well, in Well, it's funny because that, of course, leads us to Anthony Hopkins' new movie that's coming out, Solace. Have you heard about it? I've heard about it. Okay, but he's a I'm serial assuming... killer again, or he's got the mind of us. Either way, it's okay with me because he's back. My Hannibal's back. <laughs> uh, and by the way, it's December 16th, and I'm sure we'll be reviewing it, so everybody should definitely make sure you write on there that we have to review it so that O'Toole can't nix it, Okay. By the way, now, it took 15 years to make that film. It was, which just goes to show, we've talked about it before, how difficult it is to make a film. 15 years they've been trying to make that film. Wow. Um, okay, one last question for you. Mm-hmm. I know you've seen Science of the Lambs. It's like your mantra. But did you ever read the book? Of course I read all the books. And, and not only that, Tom Harris, uh, you know, um, he lives in Sag Harbor in the Hamptons. Uh-huh. And his house was four houses from mine. And I remember thinking, I hope he never knows my name because <laughs> because it's not, you know, because anybody who thinks like that and can write like that and comes up with this creatively on their own in the dead of night, I'm not sure you want them to know you exist is my point. Um, and he would, walk, he would walk into Sag Harbor every day to write. And he had a little um, writing studio above the hardware store. I don't know if he still does. This is, again, 25 years ago. And that's where he wrote these books. So, yeah, I read all of them. You didn't ever go over there with a gift wrap bottle of lotion? I'm telling you, I didn't want him to know I existed. <laughs> I, you know, that's not the guy. Um, okay, so we've got to move on. We've got so much to go through. But I just, I need to, before we move into a couple of other things, I need to revisit Divorce from HBO. Oh, Sarah Jessica Parker's vehicle. Yes. So I've continued to watch it and sort of, I have to take back everything I said. Anyone who's been through a divorce, which includes more than half of those married in America. So let's face it, pretty much a lot of people are, are paying attention to that. While it's at times painful, it, you know, and the, and the show is painful and I didn't think it could have depth or that it could go anywhere. It really shows the humor in it all and how everyone takes the wrong highway during that stressful time. And I take every bad thing I said back about it. We'd only watched the first episode. And I'm telling you, it gets better, better, better. And I remember when I first saw Sex in the City, I felt the same way. I thought the episode, the the pilot episode wasn't good. So I, I, I think you should go back and revisit Divorce if you haven't started. It's excellent, excellent, excellent. One yeah. other thing, one of our listeners is having a birthday this week, so I want to wish a very happy birthday to Pink Man Cat. Kathleen out there, she she wrote us that she was going to go see The Handmaiden, so I'm very curious to hear what she thought about that movie. Um, okay, so now is our big event, and this was recommended to us by a couple of people, actually, but um, Good Behavior by TNT premiered this week. If you saw somebody on the side of the road, would you pull over and help? Did you... See somebody who needed help? Lady Mary from Downton Abbey moves from upstairs to downstairs. And what I love is that I don't recognize her. You know, when that girl falls from the from the glory of upstairs, uh, you know, she is really good at not being Mary. From that opening know, scene right? where she is yeah. flipping hamburgers in an American yeah. greasy spoon with an American accent. I was like, she's not only she gone downstairs. Cleaning that toilet, oh, I started gagging. It's like she's gone scene. out yeah. the back door and through the alley. Yeah, she really did nail 
the American. She does a lot of different accents, wears a lot of different wigs, plays a lot of different characters. And also, I don't know how far you got, but, you know, she also taught us in this in this series how you can make a crack pipe out of a light bulb. Now, these are good things to know. And as she's like taking apart this light bulb, I'm thinking, where are we going here? (laughs) And who knew that you can make crack you can, you know, oh. you can smoke, you can make a crack pipe out of a light bulb. I just think she was a wealth of, of information it was hard. about how to fall from grace. One thing that I really have a hard time watching on screen is a character just self-destructing and watching her freebase in that motel room. I think it's a genius show. I do. It, well, you know, it's interesting what you say about divorce because this is one of those pilots where I thought, okay, I'd probably give it a Oh my God, A+. No, I thought she did a very good job, but I had the feeling Mm -hmm. that it's going to get better and better because I was very intrigued with the scenes for next week about where it's going to go with her and this character, Javier. That cat and mouse, it reminded me of the catch a little bit where, you know, they're on both sides of the equation. But also it introduces a little humor in the first episode, but the preview for the next episodes show a lot more humor, and I like that. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, juxtapositioning... Humor with drama and pain and everything else, to me, is a, is a perfect combination. It reminded me in that regard of Orphan Black, where because she's a mm-hmm. con artist, she's fresh out of prison, yep. she's trying to make yep. a new start. But like Orphan Black and like the night manager, it's also got a young mother who's not raising her own child. That child's being raised by her mother or a mother figure. And the price she has paid and trying to make good with her child... Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of material to mine. Yeah, definitely. Now, also, every episode is going to begin with a recorded affirmation. You know, at, at, during the very beginning of this and some, somewhat during it, she's listening to recorded affirmations. I love that. I am the best me I can be. Yeah, and every episode's going to start with her listening to not the same one, but different ones. And again, I love the way you have to sort of think through, okay, what what does... How, how does this layer into the plot that's unfolding? And it's, I mean, there are just so many things to think about. You can't multitask during this. I can't play solitaire and watch it at the same time, <laughs> which is always means it's really, really good. And it's a great really. contrast where you hear this affirmation from a self-help book saying, I am able to express myself in a positive way. And the editor yeah. is cutting between that and the images of her freebasing. Yeah. So did you read Wayward Pines? I didn't read Wayward Pines, but I realized that the show creator of Good Behavior and Wayward Pines also wrote all the books, Blake Crouch. Exactly. Yep. To create Good Behavior, he combined three of his Letty DeBesh novellas, The Pain of Others, Sunset Key, and Grab. Hmm. But the Wayward Pine series is very different from this. I mean, that's where it's like you're supposed to believe that this mad genius kidnapped and froze thousands of people. I mean, it's a whole nother can of worms. So I'm not quite sure how how they juxtaposition. But in Good Behavior, sort of we're supposed to believe that Letty and, and the contract killer she tries to foil, you know, end up as partners in this, you know, combination of, uh, you know, thriller and comedy. I, it's just really complex and very new. And I remember, isn't it your mom who once said to us that every movie's a remake or a re- what was, what it did she say? It does feel that way. Because mm-hmm. yeah. you can keep going but, back. Shakespeare was probably already borrowing plots exactly. from the ancient Greeks. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it's so nice when you see something that really you can't immediately attach it to something that's already been there before. And I think this is one of those, you know, I do. Somebody wrote, and I don't, I unfortunately didn't write down who, but they 
when Harry the killer met Sally the scam artist. <laughs> With <laughs> addiction love. issues. Isn't that great? Isn't that cute? That's, you know, this this is like when Harry the killer met, met Sally the scam artist. That's I thought, so funny. That's go. That was really perfect. good. The only, only negative I have is that the complexity of the assets that she has as a person, I don't know that they're all believable. Like, you know, as as damaged as she is and as fragile being that damaged is, I'm not sure she would have had the strength and fortitude and calmness to go and put herself in jeopardy to save a stranger woman that she's never met before. See, I think she has that because she's already got such self-destructive behavior. When you've got these suicidal tendencies, you might be more willing to throw yourself in front of a moving train. Things went to hell in Asheville. Why keep fighting it, you know? Which I think is totally true, but not so calmly as she did. It was her, the way she held the gun. I thought she would have been a little bit more um, familiar with how to hold the gun. Yeah, I don't know. There, there's just a couple of times and I'm like, would this character really have behaved this way? I'm not sure. But again, it's early and, you know, I, I, you know, I was way too quick out of the gate on the divorce. So I'm certainly not going to do it here. And it's a minor thing because I think the direction and the writing and the plot and all of it is just so wonderfully complex that I'm going to wait a couple more episodes to see, but I'm so glad you guys recommended it to us because um, I, I don't I don't think it would have been on my radar. It's on TNT. You know, you're so right, O'Toole has said over and over again. This is the age of you know golden age of television. You know, every station seems to be coming out with something you know of of excellence, don't you think? And a nice trend is that TNT dropped the pilot early, so you could watch it on YouTube even if you weren't a TNT subscriber. And Showtime did the same thing this week with their pilot for season three of The Affair. And I thought that's a great way to get new watchers. I couldn't finish season two, so I'm certainly not going to go to season three. Oh, I'm sucked right in there. Jennifer Esposito has joined the cast. I loved her on Judging Amy. She and Bradley Cooper in real life were married for a nanosecond. I remember that. Yeah, Brendan Fraser made a guest appearance. On this first episode of season three, there's been a three-year time jump, but what they did for the very first time is the entire hour was only from Noah's point of view. This one didn't switch off 30 minutes in. Yeah, what somebody put posted on one of our um, social media pages that they, you know, they didn't like him well enough to have him be there all by it, himself it for was an hour. Val and I thought that was a great line. I yeah. totally agree because he can be insufferable, very self-involved. And yet, as I kept oh. watching the episode, I, I got sucked right oh, back there you in. Go. And guess how many people have viewed it on YouTube? The Affair? No. I could care less about the affair. The affair, I would have thought there'd be more. Um, are we yes. in the six digits? No, we're in the seven digits. Seven digits? Over a million? I Wow, how high is it? 3.1 million. Really? Which just goes to show how smart that is to put it up on YouTube rather than, you know, when you know that 3.1 people are have viewed the first episode and you also, they'll be able to go in and get the data um, when they cut out, you know, did they watch the whole thing? You know, they'll be able to glean a lot of information, much more so than if they just put it up on their website. And I've heard that this is the first project to come out by someone in the Downton Abbey cast since Downton Abbey yeah. wrapped. Well, also she had a hard time, you know, just as she was filming the last episodes of, of Downton Abbey. Her partner died. I could not um, believe after that. After a long he illness. Yeah, so and she young. pulled it all 
all to yes. Oh. And she pulled it all. I mean, I have great respect for how she behaved. I remember both professionally and personally. And he died when she was over here for the opening of Downton Abbey, doing and the she press flew back for and it. then came back mm-hmm. again. I mean, it, it, unbelievably, you know, strong woman. I so know. you go, girl. I don't know how she yeah. did it because I remember it was right around the time she was on one of the late night talk shows, and they were asked to perform a scene of Downton Abbey with American accents because they were trying to figure out if it's the British accent that made the they show did a so great good. Job. I saw that. It was wonderful. It was hilarious. I know. We are only the caretakers of Downton. But, Dad, some things have to change. True. (laughs) True, but we mustn't destroy what we're trying to protect. But you can't block all development. Oh, no. No, honey, I won't. Yeah, hey, guys, that may be hard to achieve. Yeah, it was great. And it was great. Watching Good Behavior, I feel like she's nailing that accent again. Right. So I can't wait to see what unfolds next. So highly recommended. Highly recommended. You know, Hollister, I just have something. Oh, it was probably in the business pages a month ago. But so breaking By news. By the way, if you heard it on the news, we didn't break it first. <laughs> Especially when but it came ahead. out a month ago. <laughs> yeah. But uh, um, exactly. Like, you know, O'Toole's brand new news, as you know, <laughs> has already has fifty million people who have seen it. But go ahead, you but go it's for very it. Very interesting. You know when the Olympics were being held in Beijing and they approached Steven yeah. Spielberg to make a movie yeah. about it. And he drew some criticism there at the time because they said, watch out, Steven Spielberg, this could be like the Laney Riefenstahl moment with the Berlin Olympics in the thirties. But he's cut a deal with Alibaba one of the huge Chinese conglomerates where they've actually, they're now an equity stakeholder in his company, Amblin. So it's no longer DreamWorks, it's Amblin, where they're going to help him distribute his movies in China. And in turn, Mm. he's going to help them out in Hollywood. But they said they expect in a few years, the Chinese box office will be the number one in the world. Right now, it's still the U.S. China's number two. Well, they could say, you know, but I mean, if you look at the numbers of people, if they open up the movie theaters, then of course that will happen, right? right? But the the first movie they released under this deal was The Girl on the Train. Wow, so, that's interesting. But when I was reading the article, this was something that I didn't realize. The AMC theater chain is already owned by an even bigger Chinese conglomerate. Hmm. The Wanda Group. I'm not sure the first thing I would have released in a new culture would have been The Girl on the Train. Interesting choice, right? Yeah. Linda Obst, the big Hollywood producer who produced Sleepless in Seattle, she wrote the book Mm -hmm. Sleepless in Hollywood talking about this shift in box office. And when it started shifting more towards the international markets, that's when we also got this rise of the superhero franchises because they're easier to dub into different languages because there's not that much dialogue. Yeah, they can do the accompanying uh, product lines that make even more money than the movie itself. So not dialogue-driven movies. So I'm wondering if this means there'll be even more of that coming out of Hollywood and not tiny little character-driven movies. The Margot Martindale movies, if you want to come full circle. So that's it for us this week, but I want to end giving you a message. Oh, you're going to give me a message. Okay. Okay, ready? Yep. You don't own me. (laughs) I'm not just one of your many joys. (laughs) Bye, O'Toole. Hollister, I didn't even see that coming. (laughs) Uh, I know. That's what I loved about it. (laughs) 